Now, last week, we began this look into marriage. And we started with looking at the wife's role. And that was the role of submission. Not a popular subject to talk about in these days. It's not an easy one, but it's an important one. And like I said last week, that marriage really becomes that arena that begins to test us to see where we're at in this walk with Christ that we've been called to. Not always an easy road, but it's a blessed road when we walk in obedience to what the Lord has laid out for us. And he's laying out for us certain specific things when it comes to this area of marriage. And it's important that we're those that are recognizing that though it's not always easy, there are certain parameters and guidelines for us here. Now, I sometimes think that my wife, Michelle, and God are in cahoots a little bit in just presenting me with opportunities for me to practice patience or opportunities for me to be tested to see how I'm doing in these things. Like, I feel that there are times, honestly, where Michelle is going to God saying, God, listen, what do you think about this here? About me doing this to Brandon? God's just going, oh man, you got to do that. That's a doozy. And he's like grabbing a ball of, bowl of popcorn and just enjoying the show as he's seeing how I react and respond to these testings that my wife seems to love to give me here. But that's the reality. In fact, for instance, well, while we're on the subject, let me just share like the other day, Last week, we're getting ready to come to the church here on Saturday for the wedding. And by the way, congratulations again to Emily and, and Bryce. Emily's back now after their honeymoon got married last week. That's exciting. And uh, we're getting ready to go to the wedding. It's an early morning wedding. And, you know, I get up and I go get my bowl of cereal. I love cereal. So I'm pouring my cereal, like Fruit Loops, Cabin Crunch, one of those healthy ones. I can't remember. But pour my cereal. And I go to the fridge and, I, and there's no milk. And I'm like, I, I literally, yeah, no, I yelled out, like a total panic. And my wife's like, what's the matter? I'm like, we're out of milk, honey. We got to leave earlier now because I got to stop at McDonald's and get an Egg McMuffin, right? And she's like, come on, don't be such a baby. You know you can make an egg yourself, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I guess you're right. So I start, you know, getting the stuff out and making an egg and making a sandwich. And I'm going... You know, I could offer my wife one, but she's kind of mocking me a little bit. She's not, but I, being the loving husband that I am, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ask. And so I'm like, honey, can I make you one too? Would you like an egg? She goes, no, no, I'm going to get an egg McMuffin. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is like my life, constantly tested, right? She loves to push my buttons. But hey, listen, it's fun. We have a good time. We've been married now for... Um, just over 25 years, and, and we have a, a lot of fun, and, and we've learned that in marriage, there's challenges, there's, there's testings, there's difficulties. Why is that? It, it's because my wife is a, a sinner. Sorry, uh, we, because we are, are sinners, we're two broken people, and I, I like to joke a lot of times, and, and oftentimes at my wife's expense here, you know that, um, and I sometimes cross the line. Uh, I, I know, and, and today I thought we can just remove the line altogether, just not even have a line, and just go, no, ho no holds barred look at, at marriage, basically, right? But uh, in all that, I want you to know how much I thank the Lord for my wife, and, and just the blessing that marriage is, and the fun that we have, but it's not without challenges, and, and we all 
are going to face those times because like I said, God has given us marriage, I believe, to really be that arena by which we begin to see what's really going on in us. Where do I need refining? Where have I gotten out of line from what God has instructed me to do? You see, marriage is either going to bring out the worst in you or bring out the best in you. But the question is, what's inside of you? And I find it very interesting that Paul begins to talk about marriage in Ephesians 5 here after he's just come off of a few verses that's laid out some interesting things for us. Like, for instance, in verse 18, where he says, listen, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul begins to lay out for us some things that we might be under the influence of, that's not going to be helpful, but what are you being filled with? What's inside of you? Are you being filled with the Spirit, in other words? Listen, you may have a, a spouse that loves to test you or push your buttons, but that's not the issue for you responding in anger or growing in bitterness. It becomes a heart issue. Paul Tripp said, your spouse is never the cause of what you do or say. They may be the occasion, but they're not the cause. Your words and behavior are more formed, shaped, and directed by what's inside of you rather than what's outside of you. Let me just say that again. Your words and behavior are more formed, shaped, and directed by what's inside of you than what's outside of you. And how we love to blame our spouse or point the finger and say, if you didn't act this way, then I wouldn't respond this way. If you didn't say that, then I wouldn't say this in response. They're never the, they're never the cause for how you behave. They may be the occasion, but it becomes more uh, uh, an indication of what's going on in your own heart. And maybe what is out of balance or out of line from what the Lord has called you to do. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. See, God wants you to enjoy a blessed companionship and not a, a sinking ship the question must be asked what's in your heart are you being filled with the spirit are you walking in obedience to the word of God have you been changed and renewed by the love and the grace of God that is at work in you see if you're looking to your spouse to fill you with that which can only be filled and accomplished through Jesus Christ then you're going to find yourself feeling more empty than you are full and you're going to find that there are things coming out that are not productive to the relationship. So today, we want to make some good deposits into our heart here as we look at the various roles and responsibilities of marriage between a, a wife and a husband. And let's ask the Lord to do that work of changing our hearts and leading us in what he's called us to in our marriages and maybe you're here today and you're not married well there's going to be some great application and encouragement i pray for you in relation to who you are in and with 
Christ, and maybe you're looking to be married one day, and so these are some great foundations to begin to think about and build upon even now. It says in verse 25 here, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So last week, we looked at the wife's responsibility in marriage. That was submission. Today, we look now at the husband's responsibility in marriage. Now, if the husband were to stop reading after verse 22 or verse 24, I mean, he'd have a very out-of-balanced view of marriage. He'd be looking at all this going, man, this is great. This is a breeze. I can't wait to get married. This is going to be good. But it'd become a very out-of-balanced and destructive way to conduct yourself in marriage. Case in point, there's a man that was making his commute home from work one day, and as he was on his community, he's reading, finishing up the book, Man of the House, that focused on the wife's submission. Well, when he reached his home, he was ready to put it all into practice. He stormed in the house and walked directly up to his wife, pointed his finger in her face, said, from now on, I want you to know that I am the man of the house, and my word is law. You're going to prepare a, a gourmet meal for me tonight, and when I'm finished with my meal, I expect a sumptuous dessert to follow. Then after dinner, you're going to draw my bath so I can relax. And when I'm finished with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? His wife thought about it for a moment and said, well, the funeral director, I guess. <clears throat> so true. See, that is not the way that husbands, and, and if you're reading just verse 22 to 24, you're going to have a very out-of-balance view of what God has instructed of us, but he continues on now. In fact, he continues like, man, the wives, you got three verses, but for the husbands now, you got a whole lot more because, man, you're a piece of work. You need a little bit more time here to really deal with on these things, right? Wives are all saying, yes, amen, preach it. But it's like about time we turn this corner here. But see, husbands now, you're called, it says in verse 25, simply to love your wives, See, submission, by the way, does not give a husband's license to be a dictator in the home and in the relationship. Husbands are called to be the head of the wife, but this is more to do with responsibility than tyranny. Please understand that. Headship in a relationship is not about being the boss and dictator. It's about a responsibility you hold and you carry out. Paul, in fact, doesn't even emphasize the authority of a husband but rather he emphasizes the love that a husband is to have for his wife. Husbands, love your wives. Now, the Greek word here is this wonderful word, agapeo. This, this term for love that meant this unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. It was a love that was given without anything expected in return. And in this day, you see, Submission by the wife was an accepted cultural norm. But sacrificial, selfless love by the husband was out of step with the prevailing standard. This is a word, a term, a description for love that Christian teaching really brought to the forefront. So Paul makes it very clear that husbands are love the wives, but then he begins to explain a little bit more for us, begins to fill in exactly what this love is to look like. Because then he says, husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. See, that becomes the model and the example. How did Christ love the church? 
He died for, it says it right there in, in Ephesians 5, verse 2, when Paul writes, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. That's the way that Christ of the church. I've often said, you wives that like to complain and grumble over this role of submission, can I just plead with you to stop complaining? Because we're called to die. I'll take submission any day over death. You got it easy. Husbands, you're called to die. You're called to love your wives as Christ loved the church. See, husbands, you have a, a wonderful example and model of what we're to be living out. All we need to do is look to Jesus Christ, and therein becomes the, the picture, the example, the model that you're to be demonstrating in your home and in your relationship in marriage. Jesus didn't just love the church in word. He loved the church in action. And it wasn't just kind of, you know, little things. Like, so easy, it's so easy for husbands to go, well, listen, I brought my wife flowers last month. I give her chocolates every Valentine's Day. She better know how much I love her. We like to do that sometimes, right? I tell her at least once a week that I love her. No, Jesus' example is that he gave himself completely, sacrificially to the point of giving it all. And that's what love is. Love is something that's very tangible and evident. Didn't, Jesus didn't just love us when we were lovable. He showed the extent of this love when we were the least deserving of it, when we were the least lovable, when we were still in our sin and we were, as, as Paul would say, we were at enmity with God. We were separated from, we were like at war with God. And yet it's there at that state that we were in the least lovable that Jesus came and he gave us his love. He gave us himself. He showed us the extent of his love by dying for us, dying in our place. And understand something, this love is an initiating love. Jesus didn't wait for us to begin to initiate. So, okay, Jesus, I think I'm ready now for your love. I think I need your love. No, Jesus did this when we were basically at a point of not even reaching out. Nobody, the Bible says that nobody was seeking after God. So Jesus initiated this love. And we now, as the church, we become responders of that love. Husbands, how have your wives been responding? How have they been responding to you? If it's not been favorable, then Question must be asked, what are you initiating in that relationship? Well, I'm not saying that you're never gonna go through seasons of, of difficulty and trial um, and that by doing everything right, everything's gonna be perfect, but we're called simply to walk in love and to love our wives as Christ of the church. And that becomes an initiating love. That becomes a love that you do regardless of what is coming your way. You love your spouse. You initiate and they respond. See, ultimately, we're not to be caught up in what our spouse is doing or not doing. We're to simply carry out the God-given instructions 
that he has for us in our marriage responsibility. It's interesting that the very things that we're to carry out in our roles as husbands and wives are the, the very things that each other is generally craving and desiring. The wife innately wants to know her husband's love and care for her. And the husband wants to be respected. So the instruction is very clear and applicable. But what happens so often is that the wife doesn't maybe see the love of her husband. So she tries to take charge, maybe show her worth and try to get her husband to notice her. Meanwhile, the husband then responds negatively thinking his wife is usurping his headship. So he responds with a lack of affection towards her. And then the husband stops loving the wife like he's called to do. And that cycle just continues to go around in circles where each other is trying to get the, the spouse to respond a certain way rather than just initiating what they're called to do. That's why God has given us roles and order in our marriage. He desires our marriage to be a, a duet and not a duel. And the only way that's accomplished is if we seek out our own responsibilities and roles. If we're worried about what the other is doing or not doing, it's gonna lead to frustration. We need to simply worry about what we're called to do. Lord, am I carrying out this role of loving my, my wife or am I carrying this role of submission to my husband, showing this respect to him? Again, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Are you seeking to serve God and obey him in this relationship or are you, you seeking to be self-serving in your relationship? Many marriages would be spared a lot of problems if each person simply focused on their own roles despite what their spouse was doing. Husbands, as the head, take the lead in what you're to do, but lead in love. And the wife will have no problem carrying out what she's called to do. A wife's gonna have no problem following along in the headship of her husband when she sees a husband that is loving and caring and putting her needs above his own. And a husband is not gonna have any problem coming alongside and love and care for his wife when he sees a wife that is coming alongside in just submission. Wives keep submitting even when you feel like your husband is deserving or not deserving. As Peter says, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Ephesians goes on to say in Ephesians 5 verse 26, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So Christ's love now is being demonstrated in what it does for us. And again, this is a very giving love. It's a love that's on display in a, in a threefold way for us. We see a past, present, and future unfolding of his love. He gave himself for her, the church. That's a, a past work that he's done, this work of redemption. There's a present work in that he might sanctify and cleanse her and a future work that he might present her to himself. 
there are, are five verbs that are used here to show that this is not a passive, one-act kind of love, but that this is an ongoing love of action. It says that Christ loved the church. He gave himself to sanctify and cleanse her, that he might present her to himself. This is an ongoing work of action and, and, and blessing that Jesus does in this love towards us. So this is a work that Jesus has done and is doing for us. He gave himself for us that we might be sanctified and cleansed. That's the idea of being simply set apart. This work of sanctification is that we might be set apart to him. Are, are we desiring that in our relationships to come together and to be set apart for one another? Now, the work of cleansing took place on the cross. But this continues to be an ongoing work and it's enacted through the word of God. Do you see that there? It's interesting that in John 15, three, Jesus says that you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Are you faithfully being fed and cleansed through the word of God? Is this a daily thing that you are encountering in the word of God? Because as, as you are being fed the word of God, guess what you're doing? You're, you're filling your heart with that which is good. And that is what's gonna be coming out. You're gonna be a blessing to your spouse in this enrichment that you're receiving. And husbands, you're called to, again, be washing your wife with the word of God, sharing the truth of God's word, using the word of God together in encouragement and edification one with another. Husbands, are you looking to pick out all the blemishes on your wife? Are you quick to point out all the, the faults and the errors? Or are you seeking to build her up through the word of God, which aids and encourages her? That's what Jesus is doing for us. And it's what, husbands, you must be doing for your wives. See, a lot of this imagery may very well be drawn from a, a Jewish and Greek wedding kind of practice where the bridal bath would take place before the wedding. She would prepare herself and cleanse herself for her husband. But here we see it's the work that Jesus does for his bride, the church. And it's the work we husbands are looking to uphold in our brides. Now before moving on, I love the idea of what Jesus will one day do for us. He says he's gonna present us a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is when the church, the bride of Christ, is gonna be adorned just as a bride on her wedding day is adorned in this radiant beauty. I mean, it, it's hard to find a, a bride that's not beautiful on her wedding day. There's something just so glorious about this day and in being presented to her groom. It's the same for the church. And we're gonna be presented glorious before our Lord and our Savior. What a great day that is that we're looking forward to. He's accomplishing it all. He's doing the work. And he's gonna complete the work. In the past, in the past, Christ's love was manifested in our redemption. In the present, it's seen in our sanctification. And in the future, it's gonna be displayed in our glorification. Moving on, verse 28 
says, so husbands ought to love their own, their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but they're also called to love their wives as they love their own bodies. See, Paul is implying here that none of us have a problem loving ourselves. I mean, let's be honest, right? As much as we might like to put ourselves down, we love ourselves. That is very, very much clearly shown in that we will regularly bathe ourselves, feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, right? We're taking care of selves. Why? Because you love yourselves. Nobody's going to the, the supermarket and it's, you know, time to pick out fruit and you're grabbing all the, you know, past ripe bananas. They're brown and they're mushy. You're not taking those bananas saying, well, I don't really like myself. I don't think I deserve the nice bananas. So I'm going to take these old. No, you're not. You're not taking the old, but you're taking the good bananas. Why? Because you care for yourself. You love yourself. That is very clear. So Paul says, listen, love your wives as you already clearly love yourselves. That's the way that you should be loving your wives. For Paul says, no one ever hated his own flesh. See, in the marriage act, the two become one flesh. You're no longer two separate people. You are one. You're joined together. And if you mistreat your spouse, it's like you're purposefully mistreating yourself. It doesn't make sense, does it? You're one flesh. And no one ever hated his own flesh. Do we look at our spouse as though, and this is, this is a part of me now. As, as much as I don't hate myself, as much as I would never mistreat myself, how I need to, do that with my spouse now. Nourish and cherish one another. And if you lack motivation to do so, be motivated by the fact that Jesus treats you that way, that he loves you, he cares for you, he cherishes you, he nourishes you, he takes care of you. Jesus does that when we are oftentimes not deserving of it. Don't look at what your spouse deserves or not. Look at what Jesus has done for you in your undeservedness and be thankful that he still loves you and cherishes you that way may you reflect that to your spouse for we are says in verse 30 we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones just as eve came from adam's side and was a part of him so too we become connected to the lord he looks at us as members of his own body he's not against us but for us that's how we're viewed and received. Husbands need to have a proper view of their wives now that they are an extension of themselves, but more so that we are, again, we're members of his body. Do you ever look at your spouse as though, man, this is my brother or sister in the Lord. And, and we need to be honoring and, and encouraging, edifying one another in that relationship, in that fact that we're members now together of the one body the church the bride of christ husbands when your wife is down and miserable is that perhaps a reflection of you and how you're treating her now paul takes us back here as we move into verse 31 he takes us back to how the the origins of marriage began Remember, marriage is ordained of God. He's, 
He's the one that created. He's the architect of marriage. It's his ideal. And in fact, Adam and Eve had an ideal marriage. He didn't have to hear about all the men that she could have married, and she didn't have to hear about the way that his mother cooked. It's an ideal marriage. It's quite nice. So when Adam, when he woke up from his sleep, he saw this perfect creature standing there. Now, when Adam saw her, she, she was the perfect woman for him, pretty much because she was the only woman for him, right? But see, we need to have that view towards our spouse, that they're the only ones for us. It prevents us from comparing with others and being drawn away. In fact, we read over and over again in Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33, that this is, you're to submit or to love your own spouse this way, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands. There in verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives. And, and, and in so saying this, it's like saying this is how you're to treat your wife, that this is your wife that is, I think you can kind of look at this in a way of saying that this is to be a, a faithful and forever marriage. There's not to be a plan B. So Paul writes and he quotes from Genesis chapter two, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Husbands and wives are to see in this three simple principles, leave, cleave, and weave. See, we're to leave all other former relationships, not that we abandon them or forsake them, but that there's to be a new priority and precedence set within the marriage relationship. Too often, spouses, you know, people, they come together and there's still a, a, a deeper connection to friends or other social groups and they haven't spent time developing that deep connection with one another. In Genesis, it says husbands are to lead their father and mother because that was the highest of relationships. That was the highest priority of relationships. But the husband's called, you're to leave that now. You're no longer to be under the, the sway or the uh, opinion of your parents. You're to develop now a, a more deeper relationship with your spouse, so leave. But they're not just leave, but to cleave. It says, be joined to their wife. That's the idea of cleaving. I think it's the King James Version that says cleave. That's not the idea of taking out a meat cleaver when things are getting difficult and be like, that's it, man, I'm done with you. No, this is the idea of joining together. It means to glue together. To glue together. Think of plywood. You take various sheets of wood and you glue them together. And guess what happens? Once those things are pressed together, glued together, you're not separating those things any longer. In fact, the moment that you try to separate those things, all you're going to do is break them, splinter them. It's not an easy thing in marriage to just think of, well, we'll just separate. Because you've been spending time joining yourselves together. And then the third principle, weaving, the two shall become one flesh. This is why this is so important. Because you've joined together in a way that you've now become one flesh. You've weaved every part together of you. That happens in the confines of sexual intimacy, which is a wonderful bonding thing that, that the Lord has given us in marriage. But it's meant to be for marriage and marriage only. Between two people, a husband and a wife. And when it's practiced outside of marriage with multiple people, as society just seems to kind of celebrate and praise, well, you're not able to become the one flesh as God intended. See, 
you're leaving a part of you with each partner that leaves less of you than a whole. There's a spiritual and physical dynamic at work here in this wonderful gift that God's given us. But when it's corrupted and done in a way outside of God, it only brings hurt and damage. See, it's like if you take a piece of tape and you tape something up on the wall and then you take it out and you tape it up somewhere else again. Take it out and tape. Suddenly you're gonna find that piece of tape is no longer having the same effect of stickiness. It's no longer able to adhere to things. And what's happening when people are just, you know, having several partners and just moving around in that kind of joining together, they're becoming a fraction of what God intentioned them. You're leaving a piece of you and there's something damaging that takes place in that. It's no wonder we, we see marriages just at an alarming rate just falling apart, people separating. Now listen, it's not irreparable. Praise God that he forgives and he makes us whole. But this one flesh is a serious thing that God has provided for a monogamous and permanent relationship. And the blessings that you will experience from that are immense. Paul says in verse 32 that this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. All this talk of marriage is a great mystery. Some of you husbands are sitting back going, oh my goodness, yeah, it is. I cannot understand my wife for the life of me after 30, 40 years of marriage. No, this is, Paul's not talking about a mystery that we're trying to figure out. Paul's used that term a lot in the book of Ephesians, and what he means by that is that this is something that was once kind of hidden, but now has been revealed to us. What Paul is meaning by this is that, listen, your marriage now becomes a wonderful picture of what Jesus has done for us. You and your marriage get to be almost like reenacting and being a witness of this wonderful work that Jesus has accomplished for us in that he died on a cross out of his love for us to forgive us, to make us new in him that we might enter into an eternal relationship together with him. It's a wonderful thing that happens and the church now walks in obedience and submission to Christ so that the world looks at a husband that's loving their wife sacrificially, selflessly, and they see a wife that's just walking, the, walking in submission to the husband. The world's looking on and going, what in the world? I didn't know marriage could look like this. I didn't know marriage could be such a blessing. Why, how is that possible? We get to say, this is what we've experienced in Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for us. And in our marriage now, we just get to be kind of a picture and a witness and an example of what the relationship we already enjoy in Jesus and with the church that's what Paul is saying here. This is all a great mystery, but it's concerning Christ and the church. When applied to Christ and his church, the one flesh is identical with the one new man of, of chapter two, verse 15. Indeed, the three pictures of the church which Paul develops in Ephesians, the body, the building, and the bride, all emphasize the reality of its unity on account of its union with Christ. Nevertheless, he says in verse 33, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what Paul does here, verse 33, is just kind of summarize everything he's looked at from verse 22 to verse 32. Bottom line, this is what it comes down to. Husbands, 
love your wife as you already clearly love yourself and wives respect honor submit to your husband wives if you're not submitting to your husbands then you're fighting against the lord and you need to repent of that action husbands if you're not loving your wife in a way where her needs are not ahead of your needs you need to repent this is not honoring to the lord not only are you hurting your relationship, but you're tarnishing the very witness and example that your marriage is to be in this world. Listen, it's not gonna be easy, but remember, God's given you this marriage and relationship to ultimately bless you. But for that blessing to come, there oftentimes needs to be refining in our lives. There needs to be deposits made to our own hearts where we begin to see, man, I'm out of line with what God has and what God's directed me in. Lord, I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to get right in these things. And your wife is not the fault of your behavior. Your, your husband's wives are not the fault of your behavior. This is something that God is using to refine you and shape you. Paul Tripp said this, God is using the difficulties of the here and now to transform you. That is to rescue you from you. And because he loves you, he will willingly interrupt or compromise your momentary happiness in order to accomplish one more step in the process of rescue and transformation, which he is unshakably committed to. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, Respect your husbands. It's not complicated. It's really quite simple. But stop worrying about what your spouse is doing or not doing and start focusing on what you're called to do. Carry that out and see the blessings that begin to flow in your marriage and in your relationship. All right, worship team, would you come up? And we're gonna move into just a time of communion here this morning. And what a sweet time this is to, again, thank the Lord for this incredible work he's done for us in giving himself on a cross to die for us. If you're listening in today, or you're here in this room, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're sitting here today and you're not sure where you're gonna go when you die, understand that this has all been taken care of for you, but it requires something of you. It requires you simply acknowledging your sin and your need for a Savior, and, and now putting your trust in Jesus. See, Jesus died on a cross, to pay the penalty for your sin. He rose again to secure life for you, life now, life eternal with him in heaven. He loves you and he wants you to enter into this beautiful relationship with you that marriage begins to be a foreshadow of. But that's only accomplished when you yield yourself to him and say, Jesus, I need you as my savior. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my savior. And when you pray that, the deal is done. You become a born again believer. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. If you've not done that, I encourage you, pray that prayer. Ask Jesus to come and forgive you of your sins and make you new today and experience the blessing of life in him. And so as we move into just a time of worship, we don't have a lot of time, but we'll, we'll move through and, and worship the Lord here. And would you come as we sing? Just make your way to the front. We have communion elements here and over here. And... Um, and just take those back to your seat and take them on your own before the Lord in this time of worship. Husbands and wives, 
I encourage you to do this together. Pray with one another, pray for one another. Thank the Lord for your relationship and ask the Lord just to move in your life. And thank him that he's given you now through his life the, the power to live out or the example to live out now in your relationship. Pray for that. Thank him. This is done in remembrance of what he's done for us that we might have life in him. And I pray that your marriage is experiencing that blessed life, that your relationships are experiencing that blessed life that he has for us. That stand, all right? So as we sing, come and help yourself. Take it back to your seat and partake of that on your own before the Lord with one another here.